Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here with us. Welcome to Rise Church. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. Hey, on behalf of uh, my family and our staff, all of our serving uh, volunteers that kind of come in here early in the morning and set this up for you. Hey, we're just so glad that you're here, especially if you're with us for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. I always recommend come at least three times. You never know, uh, maybe I might be off today or, hey, you know, there's just something weird in the spirit. Man, you, sometimes you just got to come back three times and give you a little idea of really what it's like. So we hope you do. And I uh, just want to welcome all those listening on our podcast as well. We have a lot of people, honestly, a lot of people that listen to us just digitally, either through our podcast and you're maybe on a trip right now, or you're on your way to church or school or work or something, and we're so glad that you're joining with us. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Also, you can follow along on my notes. Uh, we give them to you ahead of time and for free on an app called YouVersion. It's kind of a Bible app. You can search for our church in the events section and actually follow along and uh, see where I'm going. So you can kind of get the answers to the, to the test, I guess you can say, so you know where I'm going. So uh, you can also do that. And then also check, on, check in on Facebook and let people know you are in church, which is important. So John chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. We are in the middle of a series called I Am. Everybody say, I am. Come on, like you got Red Bull in you and you're here happy. Say, I am. I am. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited because we're talking really about who Jesus was. You know what I've noticed as a pastor? There's a lot of people have an opinion on who Jesus was. A lot of books, a lot of culture, a lot of people on Facebook. But Jesus actually had something to say about who he was. And we're going to look at the scriptures and just really look at what the Bible has to say about who he said he was. And so we've been in the middle of this series for the last three weeks. Week one, we talked about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. In week two, we talked about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Week three, last week, we talked about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about a unique statement and a controversial statement that he uses to describe himself uh, kind of towards the end of his ministry. And so up until this point, just to give you some context, John is a gospel in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John um, is really just a life of Jesus. And in this part of scripture, uh, Jesus is kind of getting toward the end of his three-year ministry. And he's already washed kind of the disciples' feet. That's kind of a famous story in the Bible. He's already had his interaction with Peter when Peter actually said, God, I'll never never deny you. I'll never turn away from you. And Jesus says, actually, yes, you will. You're going to do it after the rooster crows three times. And so that's kind of a famous story in the Bible as well. So this has already happened. He's kind of getting towards the end of his ministry. He's starting to focus in on some of the things he wants his followers to really know who he was. So John chapter 14 in verse, we're going to pick it up in verse two. And he says this, he says, my father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He says, so I'm not a liar. I'm telling you the truth. He says, here's what I'm going to do. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And in verse four, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. So Jesus stops and he says, you are my disciples. You know how to get to this place that I'm preparing for you. And then Thomas does something that relates to me. He kind of misses it. He, he doesn't really follow what Jesus is saying. And so Thomas goes, he says what I would say, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know the way that you're talking about, this, this mysterious way that you speak of. And Jesus says, well, let me clarify what I'm saying. Jesus answered and he said, I am the way. Everybody say the way. He says, I am the way. It's me who, you know the way because you know me. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what he's saying here, okay, we'll just kind of pause for a minute. What he's saying is, at the end of the day, in a world full of many ways, 
many options, many gods, many religions, many quote unquote ways to get to him. You need to know I'm making the, I'm making the ultimate statement that I am the way, the only way to get to this place that I'm preparing for you, this quote unquote heaven that I want for you and your life. He makes it kind of a, a controversial statement. It was controversial back then. It's controversial now because there's a lot of religions and a lot of ways you can believe. And most religions, I don't know if you know this or not, most religions taught inside the world, they actually, their gods or, or their people they worship or celebrate, they, they've all made the statement that I am one way, I am a way, I could be some way. But Jesus goes out of his way to say, listen, you need to hear me and hear me clearly. I am the way to get to what God has prepared for you. And with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, we just love you, God, today. Lord, I thank you that you are the way and that we're here because of you. We're not here because of a church, a denomination, a religion. We're here because of a relationship with you. And I pray that today, God, the, the same power, the same spirit that you walked in, God, is in here in this place, God. Your, your word says that where two or three are gathered, you are in their midst. And so we believe you're here. And we know that, God, today you're going to take the words I prepared and transform them for the hearts of the people. We're honored that you would be with us today, Lord. Let us walk out of here transformed because of this word of God that you've spoken to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. How many of you uh, in here have family rules in your life right now? Like you got ways to do things. Come on, raise your hand like you put deodorant on and you're proud of it. Okay, awesome. Most of us who have families... We have family rules. My wife and I, when we started having our children, we have five young boys all under the age of 11. I start off with two. So, you know, I don't know what it's like to have one. I heard it's incredible. Um, but it's, we have two right off the bat. And so we have two twin 11-year-olds and on the, way, uh, on the way down to a little two-year-old, we call him a little squidget. He's my little Winston. And so I love him a lot. And, uh, but when we started having kids, we realized, man, we have to really have some guidelines, some ways, some things. Like I'm a Grijalva. So there's got to be some ways to have like, to do like Grijalva family things, you know, and, and you grew up with rules in your family that were specific to you. And you might have rules in your family right now that are because of the rules you had growing up, or they're like, because of the rule, because of the rules you had growing up, they're actually anti those rules. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of trying to create your own family. And we realized that as our kids started coming in, we needed to have ways to do things. And so my kids are young. And so right now I, I, we, my wife and I really focused on two main rules for our family. Now, I'm going to tell you our two main rules in our household right now for my children, and, and there's more little rules, but these are kind of the main ones that if they get this right, it kind of fixes most everything in their life right now because they're kind of young. And I'm going to tell you these rules. They're not prescriptive. They're descriptive, okay? I'm not necessarily saying you need to do these rules because I do them. Uh, they're not necessarily Bible. They're based off biblical principles, but, but this, is, this is just telling you what we do, okay? And uh, so our first rule in our house is uh, no lying. We, we, thou shalt not lie. That's kind of like a rule in our house for our kids. And uh, we really feel like if they can kind of focus on this right now, uh, this will really, really help them. So rule number one is uh, we don't lie. And rule number two is we don't disrespect mom. So those are the two main rules in our house, okay? And so that kinda, that's the one that I want them to focus on because I've noticed the more rules I give to my kids, the more they forget them and then the more they get in trouble and it kind of confuses them. So I'm trying to like help them focus in. If you could just focus on this, everything kind of works itself out. So the other day, I'm sitting with my children and they're out around the table and I'm being a good dad. You know, I'm doing the pop quiz. I said, boys, pay attention pop quiz today. And they're like, they sit up. Yes, daddy. I said, all right, listen, 
what are the two rules in our house? Like, tell me the two rules. And they're like, oh, oh, so they all raise their hand, you know? And so I pick Riley. He's my firstborn. And I say, Riley, he goes, he goes, dad, I know, I know. And I'm like, all right, well, tell me what's the first rule. And he goes, we don't lie. We don't do it. And I go, I go, oh, that's really good. Son, I'm so happy for you. And he high fives his brother. And I said, why don't we lie, Riley? And he goes, I don't know. I was like, all right, well, you know, I got halfway there. For a moment, I was a proud dad, right? You know, it's like, he got it. He doesn't know why, but he got it. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I said, son, here's why we don't lie. Because if we lie, you learn to lie now with small things. You'll know how to lie later with bigger things. And I don't want, we don't lie because it breaks down trust. I want to trust you. And one day you want to trust me. We want to get to the point where we've walked in relationship without lying to each other, where we trust each other. We want to build trust. And he goes, go, oh, okay, Dad, I, yeah, I get it now. I get it, okay. He starts, you know, keeps eating his Apple Jacks or whatever. And so he, uh, I, I said, what's our second rule, boys? And so they all raise their hand. And, I, and you, can, you can test them if you see them out there. They're little Mexican ones running around. And so, uh, and so, uh, so Titus goes, Titus raises hand. I go, Titus, what's our, what's our second rule? And he goes, he goes, I know, Dad, we don't disrespect Mom. And I was like, he goes, with his big eyes open, like, we don't do it. And I was like, that's right, son. You know, he's high-fiving his brothers. And I was like, well, why don't we disrespect mom? He goes, no, dad, I know why. I go, oh, okay, why? He goes, he goes, no, I know why. Because if we disrespect mom, she is going to freak out. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, you're not wrong. <laughs> wasn't the answer I was looking for, but, you know, I guess that's accurate, you know. And, and he, uh, he, go, he goes, I go, well, son, here's why. I said, because practically right now, your mother spends the most time with you. You know, while I'm at work and she's got to raise you a lot. There's a lot of little things going on. She's doing a lot of practical steps with you. And the more you don't honor her, the more you disrespect her, the more it throws her off. And when she's thrown off, then now I have to deal with it as a husband. And let me just tell you, she's my wife first. And you ain't going to disrespect my wife because one day <laughs> you're going to be gone. And when you're gone, it's just me and her. So you need to understand that's an important relationship and you need to do that. So you learn right now. I said, here's probably even more so how you treat your mom right now is going to be probably how you treat women later. And women are to be valued and honored and lifted up and respected. And so if you don't do it now with your mama, you ain't going to do it with your wife one day. And let me just tell you, I'll be the first to punch you out if you do. <laughs> His eyes are big, you know, it's a lot for an eight-year-old, I guess. <laughs> But, but those two rules for me right now, it sets the tone for our family. And if they just get that right, you know, we have other rules and other things they can and cannot do. But honestly, if they get that right, it really fixes a lot of other problems in our life. You know what I mean? And what God was saying in this scripture, this part of scripture, what he was saying was, is he was saying, listen, I need to settle this for you right now. If you focus on this, get this right in your life, it's going to settle the rest of the things. And what he was trying to focus on is what you worship. Like what you really, truly worship. Like what do you lift up to the high places in your life? Because if you settle what you worship, it'll settle what you, how your life really is. And so for most of us, we, we don't even think of it like that. We don't think God maybe even much cares. He's like, well, God, and it's not because God has a complex of him being God, you know? He's not worried about what you worship because he makes it feel bad. He doesn't, by definition, God needs nothing. What he wants you to settle in your heart, why he wants you to be focused on what you worship is for us. Right. So that when we worship the right thing, 
we receive the right things. He shows us all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, um, there's, a, there's a story of these groups of people called the children of Israel. It's Moses' story. And you've probably seen that movie with Charlton Heston, you know, where he's standing up, let my people go. Yeah, those people, those quote unquote people. And so they get delivered out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And Moses gets these 10 commandments. And you might've, again, these seem to be famous. If you're not a Christian, you know about this. And so the 10 commandments come. And the first two commandments, you need to know this, are focused on what you worship. It's you won't have any gods before me and you won't make any idols or graven images because he was concerned about what you worship. Fast forward it to Numbers. And, and, and Numbers even shows us, uh, Numbers is a book in the Bible. I always laugh because people, you know, you know they're like, Pastor, why are you worried about Numbers in church? I'm like, God's worried about Numbers. He wrote a whole book called Numbers. So anyway, like, you know, like Numbers chapter 33, there's, there's, a, there's a point where Moses gets to the children of Israel. And, you know, really Mo Numbers chapter 33, the first 50 verses are really just the outlining of where all the children of Israel went. So that walking around in the desert. And so the Bible literally says, children of Israel went here. And then they went to this area. And then they went to this area. And then they get to the end. And the Bible literally says this. It says, um, you need a, God tells Moses, hey, you're about to go into the promised land. And here's the order. There's the instruction he gives in verse 52. He says this. He says, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. And this is what he says. The first thing you need to do is destroy all the carved images and their cast idols and demolish all of their high places. Because in the high places is where they place their idols the things that they worshiped that were not God, that they treated like God, that ultimately did not deliver and tore them down. So he's saying, look, before you do anything, before you walk into this promised land and you go receive all the blessing that I want you to receive, make sure you tear down their idols. They're terrible. They can't deliver. They're awful because what you worship is extremely important. It goes on to say, actually, if you look at the history in the Ark of the Bible, I'm just giving you kind of like a quick Ark of the Old Testament. Joshua winds up taking them into the land, uh, the, to the promised land, not Moses. So Joshua takes them into the promised land. And here's what happens. They have that order from God. Joshua doesn't destroy all the idols. Guess what? Saul, King Saul, there's a Saul, uh, king named Saul in the book of the Bible. He, he doesn't destroy all the idols. Uh, David, the David and Goliath, that David, he becomes king. He doesn't destroy all the idols in the land. His son Solomon comes. He doesn't destroy all the idols in the land. A list of kings come. They don't do it. A list of judges come. They don't do it. Years pass. It wasn't until King Josiah, with the help of a prophet named Jeremiah, that when he actually does what the Bible actually God records, God asking them to do when it comes to idols. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, it says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations and be terrified by the signs in the heavens. Though the nations are terrified of them, for the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree. This is what they do. Okay, this is what he's saying. This is what they do. This is how they make their idols. They cut a tree out of the forest. A craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nail so it won't fall over. And then he says this. And if you don't think the Bible's poetry, this is, this is amazing. I'm going to, like, this is incredible. He says, like a, this is a visual image. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Come on, church. That's good. He's like, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Their idols can't speak. They must be carried. They cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm. Neither can they do good. He's saying their idols are worthless. And you need, to, you need to tear them down because what you worship is incredibly important. Fast forward to the New Testament. There's a great uh, preacher, leader, named Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament in one of his letters to a church at a city called Ephesus. 
The letter is called Ephesians. He speaks to this church and he says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness. Where does he say the spiritual wickedness and the issues lie? In the high places. So it's not a coincidence that he uses that language. He's concerned with where, what we worship because that's typically the idols we place in high places. Why? Because what we worship determines how our life goes. If you settle in your heart what you worship spiritually, it will settle what happens carnally. So if that's the truth, and if God's worried about that, we need to know what an idol is. And we need to know how to tear it down. That's what I'm going to do in the time I have left. Two thoughts on idols, what they are and how to tear them down. Number one is this, what is an idol? An idol is, you know, there's been a ton of descriptions throughout time. Uh, even in the Bible, if you look at the Bible, there's many idols that, uh, there's rain gods and there's fertility gods. Even certain tribes inside of the Bible or, or different types of people or, or ethnicities had their own god. You know, they served a certain god based on their, 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 their tribe or their culture. But for us, you know, when I hear the word idol, it can kind of bring along, it, it tends to bring up uh, like cultural ideas. I remember, um, you know, when, if, if I think of an idol right now, I typically think of something that looks like this. It's a like small golden like statue, right? And you, because you guys have seen Indiana Jones, come on, right? Like we know, like it's for us, when we see, when we hear the word idol, we think, well, yeah, that's, there's an idol, but like, I don't worship stuff like this. Like when I think of an idol, I do. I think of this, this little golden statue, maybe a, an indigenous tribe, you know, some tribe that doesn't have technology, doesn't have information. Maybe it was a long time ago and they didn't know any better. And so they worship this. And you know what we do? We judge them. We look at them and we kind of go like, why would you ever worship something that can't give you anything that, that it promises. And we look at them and we judge them when we say idols. But the problem is, is that our idols don't look like this. They look like something else. So for us, idol worship doesn't look like us bowing to a golden statue. It could be bowing to other things. I wanted to give us a working definition of what an idol is for us to study, to know in our hearts. Because if we can get this right, remember, what we worship determines how our life goes. So if we can get this right, I want, I want to get it right. So here's our working definition. I'm going to put it up on the screens. And simply this, it's good things that are put in the high places <coughs> that make them God things. I'm going to say that again. It's good things that are put in the high places that make them God things. And if you've ever noticed, the moment I put the good thing and I elevate it above the real God, it makes it a God and therefore by definition makes it a bad thing. Because this thing could never promise what it, and never deliver what it promises to me. They're not always bad things. You know, oftentimes we kind of think of an idol as something bad. You know, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something you struggle with. Maybe something you go through. It's not always a bad thing. It's typically for us in our society, in our worldview right now, it's typically a good thing. It's just improperly positioned in our life that make it a God thing that now makes it a bad thing. It's anything that you, you imagine would fulfill the deepest desires of your heart, anything more important than the one true God, anything that you seek to give you what only 
God can. Anything that, that you look to for peace, for hope, for love, for security, for wholeness, for peace, for joy, for, 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 for something that sustains you. For so, it's anything that you, you look to that, that literally you should look to God for, but you don't. You look to it for. It, it's, it's anything you complete this sentence with. If my life would be complete if I just had, and you fill in that, that blank. So for us, you know, it might not be a little golden figurine, but our idols come in different ways. What are some of the idols that you and I face on a regular basis? What, what, I thought maybe we'd have some fun today. And uh, yeah, sure. I, 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 I want to walk through maybe a few items, a few things that maybe you don't see as a as an idol, but, but, but maybe could be, could be, okay, could be. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm, I might make some people mad today. Is that okay? I'll just make you, I'll, try, I'll hug you at the end. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll hug, we'll, we'll do like a group hug. Now, this is, uh, this is, I love Ben and Jerry's, all right? Now, that Ben and Jerry's, they got it going on. They know what they're doing when it comes to ice cream. And, you know, I've, I have, uh, I have partake, partaken, partooken, part, part, I've eaten some of this. I've been to school, I promise. Um, I've, I've eaten some Chunky Monkey before. I love this ice cream. And what's interesting about ice cream, and most of us probably won't look at food this way. You know, food is a good thing. Man, I'm just telling you right now, food by its very nature just is. It's a great thing. In fact, if you're a Christian in here, you need to know food is good because, man, we're partying at the end of scriptures with God, and there's a big old feast. So food is awesome. It's not that food is bad. However, some of us could improperly place food or even ice cream or whatever that is when it comes to intaking something for food in your life. You can place place this improperly in your life to the point where now you've taken a good thing and now you make it a God thing and now it's a bad thing. And we do this in culture. See, culture is so subtle. It's, so, it's funny how it is. You know, it's like when you watch a movie, I mean, you guys have seen a movie recently, right? Especially like a romantic comedy or, you know, you see something on Netflix or you see a TV show. And typically here's how it happens. Something bad happens to the guy or the girl. And so they, you know, they have a breakup. Let's just say they have a breakup. And so they're talking to their friend and they're crying and it's like, I'm going to go home. And what they do is they go home and what they do, they put on their PJs, right? They get into something comfortable. They turn on Netflix and they start and they, you know, they put on that music that's really, really sad. And that's all the romantic music. And they go to that freezer and they pop open their Ben and Jerry's and they start eating away because why? Every movie you've seen does that. Because when you're sad, you need to go to the comfort of Ben and Jerry's. In fact, some food is actually called com comfort food, right? And so you go to Ben and Jerry's every time you're sad. And culture is teaching us, saying, hey, listen, when you're sad and you're going through a rough time, let me just tell you, the one thing that you need right now is a pint of Chunky Monkey. Because when you do that, you're going to feel good. And of course, you're going to feel good in the moment. You're going to put a bunch of sugar in your body. It's going to release a bunch of endorphins. The chemicals are going to be going wild. It's incredible to eat Ben and Jerry's. But I've noticed that the more you eat this, the later on, the worse you feel. And over time, over time, have you ever noticed, like after a year of eating Ben and Jerry's to go to come bring you your comfort, you don't fit the same clothes you used to fit in. 
And now the reason that they left you has now been magnified. You know, maybe you gained a couple of pounds. Now it's from a couple to a hundred. And now you're stuck. And you're, you're in a great relationship with Ben and Jerry. Why? Because you, now, is, again, is there anything wrong with ice cream? No, I love ice cream. I have ice cream in my house. I took my kids to ice cream. Ice cream is great, but improperly positioned in your life can now, when you put food over God, now it's God and now it's bad. And now it's promising you something it'll never deliver. Because have you ever noticed? The more you eat this for comfort, the less you good you feel. Well, why is that? Because it's an idol to some people. Not you guys. You guys are great. But other people. <laughs> Just a thought. What are, other, what are some other idols here? What are, I'm, okay, 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 okay. All right. Be, be cool. It's okay. Group hug. Okay. It's going to be Okay. I love technology. I'm what they call an early adopter. I like getting the thing in its beta form. I just love to be on the forefront. When the iPhone came out, I was the weirdo standing in line. That was me, okay? And uh, I love technology, man. I, I'm telling you, I, I love, I mean, you can ask my wife. We've got so much technology things, and internet, and wireless, and, blah, blah, and you, just, you know, buttons and pushing. I love it, okay? The, 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 is there anything wrong with technology? No. However, the improper placement of technology in your life that now makes it a God thing can make it a bad thing. And the way we do it is so subtle because you and I are at home oftentimes. We get home from work. It's been a long day. We want some comfort. We want some, some stress release. We want some ability to feel connected. And what do we do to feel connected? Social. Text message. Internet, you don't use them for phone anymore. I mean, they just, <laughs> you don't call anybody, but we, but we digital, we, we, we connect. And so you're like this and your wife's right here. And she's saying, hey, honey, can, 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 can I get your attention? And you're, you're, yeah, hold on. And then your kids come up and they want to play with you and you're, okay, yeah, hold on. Hold on, I got I to gotta, I gotta go to the thing. I got to go to the thing that, that's giving me comfort and giving me rest and giving me, is there anything wrong with your phone? No, don't miss don't go home and start throwing your phone out in the name of Pastor Aaron told me to get rid of my phone. That's not what I said. But what I did say is that if you are, have this problem, which 99% of us and we, we, we have this problem. So this is to me. It, we all probably would a good step after this message. We're all about steps here, not just information. We want transformation. Most of us could probably go home and adjust how much we're on this thing. We could probably, well, I, I'm most of us. If you probably, you don't need to if you don't own one. If you own one, you can probably take a step back. Why? Because what we do is we go, this has got everything I need. It's going to give me all that I need. It's going to get, can I just share a vulnerable moment with you? Can I just, I didn't do this in the 930. I, maybe I need to share that. I don't, God's just kind of maybe prompted me to share this with you because you guys, maybe somebody in here need this. I have, a, I've had to delete my social media throughout the week. Now, I didn't delete it completely because I, I, I still get on it, but I had to delete it off my phone. Because I've noticed I cannot control whether or not my fingers somehow open it up if it's on my phone. <laughs> Pastor moment, vulnerable. I can't follow that guy. He's got issues. Well, you got issues. Can we walk together? We'll go to the person who don't have issues. That's God. Okay, so like, let's just be in issues together. I've had to delete it off my phone. Why? Because if I leave it on there right now in this season, I somehow, I go to it too much. It's too much. It's too much. You know it's too much, and you don't want to admit it's too much, and your wife and your husband's brought it to you. It's probably a little too much, honey, and you, you yelled at them. No, I'm not. <laughs> they love me. 
Look how many Facebook friends I have. Did you see how many likes I have for my post? I have so much acceptance. And then when someone says something negative in a comment to you, you did, I mean, come on. You unhinge. And I found it interesting. And you know, everybody's brave behind a keyboard. You got a whole lot to say. You can't say it to my face, but you can say it behind a keyboard. You can do a whole lot of comedy. You can say it behind a keyboard. And so, but, but, now social media bad? No. Is technology bad? No. Is internet bad? No. But when you move it, all right, I'll get off of that because you, you're mad at me about it. <laughs> this was a little different. It's a little, little unique. You might not think of it. Remember, go back to good things, not, not bad things. It's good things, just improperly placed. Um, family could be an idol. Could be. Could be. I've noticed, as being a pastor, and I, I counsel a lot, and, and, you know, Pastor Jason, our executive pastor, he counsels a lot, and, and I've noticed in my relationship counseling with marriages, oftentimes it's, it's a, you know the root of most of them? I'm just giving you the, the and my counselor says this to me too, because I have a counselor, like, I got issues again, I got issues, but, but, but like, the root of most relational issues is that the spouse has looked to their spouse and positioned them improperly in their life. A pastor, you're supposed to care about your spouse. Yes, 100%. Your spouse under God is the most important person in your life. Well, what about my kids? Wrong. They're your second most important. If you don't have a good relationship with your spouse, who do you think is going to affect the most? Your kids. You're welcome. That's free. So anyway, <laughs> but, but I've noticed that the people who have most relationship issues are the people who see their spouse inaccurately and unbiblical. They look to their spouse to give them everything that they need. And guess what's the problem with that? Your spouse is not going to give you everything that you need. And so when your expectation is for your spouse to give you everything that you need, when they don't do that and they cease to be the God, right? Because God gives you everything that you need. So when you elevate them to God-like status and then they make a mistake, you want to tear them down. That's what you do to false gods. And so I've always encouraged people, you know, I've, you know, people come in, ladies, and go, I love him, and he didn't love me enough to where I, he didn't give me enough love. Well, welcome to marriage. <laughs> he disappointed me. Yeah, he's going to do it again. She's going to do it again. And if you continue to look at her or him in the way of going, no, he's my all in all. He ain't your all in all. He's not going to give you everything that you need. He's a human. By definition, he's imperfect. He's a man. By definition, he's imperfect, right? Come on, ladies. I thought I'd get an amen from the ladies right now. Yeah, you go, white boy. All right, so come on, like, like he's, he's not going to fulfill all your needs. She's not going to love you the way that you need to be loved in your life. It's going to be a lifetime journey, and at the end of her life, she's still going to be flawed. But if you make God your all in all, then she could be some things to you, and you can be too flawed people going to the one flaw, unflawed God, and you guys can walk to him and be in his presence and go, God, we need your help because I can't love him enough and I can't love her enough and I don't want her to be God. She can't fulfill all my needs. Some of the most healthy relationships I've ever met is when the, when the wife or the husband looks at their spouse and says, you're not everything to me. You're an important piece of my life. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you everything that I can, but it's not going to be everything that you need. And the spouse recognizes that and they go to God to fill all the areas that the other spouse couldn't. That's how they're built. But when they're God, doesn't work. How about your kids? 
I, I, I'm, I haven't made everybody mad yet. I'll just keep going. <laughs> I love my kids. I love these kids. These are, inc- my boys are incredible. I love them. But they're not everything to me. They're not going to fulfill all my desires. And you and I have been to these places, and this is none of you people in here because you're not, you don't deal with this. But you know someone else who goes to the sports field and you saw that parent pushing their kid in a sport that they don't even like to fulfill a desire of the parent's heart. They're trying to live vicariously through. They're trying to get everything that they can out of their kid. And so they've elevated their child to God-like st- You better fulfill those desires in me. You better fill that hole I have for my soul and my past. And now your kid, and you know what? If you've had a child, they will frustrate you. And then you'll get frustrated and then you'll try to tear them down. That's what you do to false gods. The other day I was sitting with my little two-year-old and I love him. I really do. He's incredible. His name's Winston. And uh, cutie, looks just like his mom every time he smiles. So I see his mom. And uh, I love him with all my heart. He was sitting in my, my lap the other day. He picked up this little metal matchbox car smiled at me. I smiled at him. And he threw it as hard as he could and hit me in the face. (laughs) And then he laughed about it. He doesn't live with us anymore. (laughs) I'm teasing. But come on, your kids are going to do something that are going to disappoint you, not going to live up to your expectations. And if they're supposed to be your all in all and you're living for your kids, come on. And they're now in the place where God should be when they fall. Guess who else falls? Yeah. Yeah, you fall. Maybe a. I'm going to grab the last percentage of people who aren't mad. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's money. You know what's interesting? We look at the the movies like Indiana Jones, right? And we see these like indigenous wild people and they're doing things like sacrificing their kids to their gods. And, And we look at that and we go, why? Or you read in the history book, right? Of like cultures that sacrifice their children to gods. And you're like, why would you ever do that? That's so Ridiculous. It makes no sense. How could anybody sacrifice their family for something that's gold? How how could anybody sacrifice their family working 95 hours a week, always chasing the gold? How could anybody, come on, come on, I'm I'm poking you. How could anybody sacrifice what God has given them for the almighty piece of gold? 
And, and, and so much of us, we look, our job's bad. No, our career's bad. No, is climbing the corporate ladder bad? No, is, is money bad? See, pastors and preachers ruin this all the time. They say stuff like, well, money is the root of all evil. False, that's misaccurate information. That's not what the Bible says. It's the love of money. It's your, it's your improper positioning of money over God. Money's not bad. Please hear me. Don't go out there and be like, I need to be poor. That, that's, that's in it. That's weird theology. That's what does people who read one scripture and didn't hear the other thousands, right? But if you elevate your money above God, the love of it, your infatuation of it, your growth in it, your securities in it, your love is in it, your peace is in it. When there's money in the bank, you're good. When there ain't no money in the bank, you're bad. And it could be, could be, that you've elevated money to a level of God in your life. And I just want you to know that a lot of people do that. We all do that in some way. And then eventually the money disappears for whatever reason because you have no control over it. See 2008. All the people who believed in money. Oh, we're good. We're good, pastor. We're good. I got money in the bank. It takes, you're one step away from silly. One step away from disaster. Oh, no, the government insures it. Okay, good luck with that. Tell that to the 2008 people. Come on, come on. And I'm not saying money's bad. Money's good. Money, by definition, is. is. But if you improperly position it in your life, you're going to be chasing a ghost. And guess what happens when you put your love of that? When it falls, come on, when it falls, you fall. Why? Because when, you're an, when it's an idol, you have to adorn it. You have to nail it down. And how much of us, how many of us out there are nailing down our idol of money every time we go to, uh, is there anything wrong with working hard? No, you should work hard. The Bible talks about working, working as unto God. You should work hard, do well, provide for your family. But if you never see the family that you provide for, that's a problem. Because you're sacrificing them for the almighty dollar. I don't care how you spin it. You could spin it all you want. I'm a great spinner. I used to sell cars. I could sell a, a Catch a popsicle to a woman in white gloves. Come on, I can do just about anything with my words. You ain't going to sell me. At the end of the day, you're sacrificing for gold. Now, now, if, if, if we have very real idols in our life, okay, we need to know how to tear them down. The Bible has something to say about that. How do we destroy our idols? Because Numbers chapter 33 says to destroy our idols. Here's what we do. Matthew chapter 6, this is how, and I'm going to close with this. Here's how you tear down your idols. The Bible says, seek first, but seek first, but seek first. Everybody say, seek first. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, seek first. All right, look at your neighbor and say, seek first. All right, good, good. Okay, so you told someone to seek first. Seek first, not your idol. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Okay, so, so it's, it's what I grew up in, the church I grew up in, okay? Here's what they said. If you want to destroy and tear down your idols, then you need to tear these things down. Don't eat ice cream. It's evil. Get rid of your phone. It's evil. I grew up in a religion in a church. You can't have hair on your face. It's evil. I'm not kidding. Girl, ladies, you nose makeup. It's evil. Get rid of it. Get rid of all the evil things. That's how you tear them down. That's not how you tear them down. That's not how you make God first. 
How you make God first is you elevate him above all that other stuff. Here's how you elevate. You submit to him. You submit to his ways, his thinking. God, I seek first God. So, so, so here's what happens. Here's, here's how cool this is, okay? Here's how cool God is. If you're a Christian here, if you're just barely a Christian, you're thinking about becoming a Christian, you're, contemplating, you're considering Christianity, I'm about to give you the best uh, selling point for your future to become a Christian, okay? Here's what's cool about Jesus. Jesus says, look, if you just come to me first, if you just come to me and you do it my way, you submit to my way with these things, then you can have them and heaven. So, so what's cool is, is here's how you do it, okay? Here's how, you, here's how you demolish it. Here's how you keep these from becoming idols. You, 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 you do this, you do this. You just keep God above them. So, so it becomes a lens on how you see it. So ice cream's not bad. But how I intake ice cream, I'm going to look at it through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of God. So Bible says that my body is a temple, so I'm not going to treat it like it doesn't matter. God cares if you're healthy. God cares that you're not sick, that you're, you don't have a, an imbalance in your life. Why? Because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. God cares about your body. He does. So you're not going to eat ice cream be, until 2 in the morning until you're sick, not because it's evil, because if I look at it through the lens of God, okay, I can have some. I'm going to take, take some bites. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm gonna add, but it's not to my comfort, not so I can feel better. I'm, I'm going I'm to, okay, 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 okay. I'm, gonna, I'm not saying to go, everybody needs to go out and delete their Facebook. Okay, like that's not what I'm saying. All right, but, but, but the, the amount of how much we're on it, I'm going to look at it through the lens of God. My time is important. Bible says my time is important. I've been giving my kids, my time with my wife, my time to myself, my time with God. And you know what? I'm going to have to probably eliminate some things and I'm going to look at it through the lens of God. So I'm not going to tear this down and get rid of it, make it evil. It's not evil. It's just, I'm going to make sure God's number one. That's it. With my family. Come on. There's nothing wrong with your family. God created the family, just so you know. He created the family before he created the church. He loves it. Did you know this? God's original plan for evangelism? Family it was not the church. Now he created it in the New Testament, started growing it. This is a biblical model. We're doing what God wants us to do. This is a great method of reaching people and building lives. But family's nothing. There's no wrong with family. I'm just going to look at it through the lens of God. The Bible says I need to love and, and honor my wife. The Bible says my, my wife should uh, love and respect me, I, that I should steward my children, that they're gifts of God. They're not mine. They're his. And one day they're going to be gone. Yes, Lord. And so all of a sudden when they're gone, I want to know that they were trained in a way that when they leave my house, they, they, they still follow this thing. And they won't do that if they're above the God that I serve. Come on, right. right? And so all things in our life, come on, money, how you see money, the money isn't yours, it's God's. And everybody who tries to put their faith in money, isn't it funny how that, like everybody who puts and elevates money, they're so miserable because you never catch what they're chasing. Come on. So, so, so today, my goal was to just shine some light on possible idols. There's a lot of them. There's titles and, you know, they're, they're, we're all chasing something. And the goal is, is not to make those things evil. It's to make God, God. 
when you make God God, everything else by, that, by definition is subservient. And he doesn't need it for him. He's not worried about his calm. He doesn't have a complex. I need to be your God or else I'm not God. God, by definition, needs nothing from us. You need to worship God for you. I need to worship God for me. When I make God number one in my life, then all these things, come on, all these things will be added unto me. I am the way that brings truth and that brings life. But isn't it interesting that it started with the way? Because if you want to have Jesus, you get both heaven one day and heaven right now. And he came for you because he was the way, the truth, and the life.